Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to the Heartwork Community Quran Study of Surah Yusuf at Roots. All of our programming at Roots is live streamed and published free of charge thanks to the goodwill of our monthly sustainers. Your donations allow us to continue our mission of being a community of welcoming, providing meaningful content, and nurturing our hearts, minds, and souls in coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa You can help us reach our Ramadan campaign goal of 250 new sustainers by signing up today. Or, if you are already a sustainer, you can increase your amount and also encourage your family and friends to support the work we do by signing up at rootsdfw.org sustain. As always, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and reward you. Jazakumullah khairan wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. So, that's the portion, inshallah, we're going to go through tonight. We are at a, 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 a pinnacle, really, in this story. And there's many in this entire chapter, but we're going to read, inshallah, um, from this portion, and a lot, to, a lot of lessons to be taken from here. So, just to catch everybody up, we're at a, a point in the story of Yusuf salam where he's had his dream. His uh, um, father, Yaqub, who's also a prophet, has advised him to keep the dream to himself as a means of safeguarding him. Um, and then his brothers, at the same time, have this sort of, um, you know, they've reached this point, this climax of being just absolutely, you know, done with how they feel they've been treated unfairly. Um, not that they have been treated unfairly, because the Qur'an doesn't mention that, but they recognize that there is a, a point of, of difference between how their father loves Yusuf and how he loves them. And so, as a way of sort of trying to mitigate their, their resentment, their anger, they decide that the most logical you know, resolution to this issue is to kill their brother Yusuf. And that maybe if they get rid of him, then their father would be able to demonstrate and to direct all of his love towards them. Um, in the midst of that, one of them says, That don't kill Yusuf. So you have this, this one voice. And that's calling them back from this, you know, horrible plan to take the life of their own brother. But instead, this person suggests as like a remediation something that is also pretty horrific, which is, why don't you just throw him inside of a well in a far-off place? And then maybe, you know, he'll be picked up by some travelers. And so we talked about the lessons from that a little bit last time. So now the scene switches, and the Qur'an does this a lot, by the way. If you're ever reading the Qur'an, hopefully this month you're engaging with it more you'll notice that the scenes switch quickly, right? There's not a lot of in-between explanation of what happened. So that conversation ended, and now all of a sudden we're standing in the home of Yaqub. So if you're imagining it like a movie, it's like a jump cut, right? So we're, we were at that scene where the brothers were talking, and now all of a sudden we're standing, or we're there watching them standing in the house of Prophet Yaqub salam. And you see this group of boys that are gathered around their father, and you see them... Uh, emotionally, you know, kind of guilting, blackmailing, however you want to, to, to say it, their father. That, oh, our father, why don't you trust us with Yusuf? And we are absolutely, when it comes to Yusuf, we have nothing but the most, the, 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 the best wishes for him. There's an interesting a point here that some of the scholars of Tafsir bring out. They say that 
even if a person doesn't know exactly what's going on. For example, Yaqub here has not been given revelation from God about the, the scheming of the brothers. Yaqub has not been told exactly what's going to happen. Otherwise, there's no way that he would have let Yusuf go with the brothers, right? Yes or no? Would he have let them if he knew that they were going to do? No. So he doesn't know. However, there is such a thing as like, you know, we, we call it like a gut feeling or intuition. This might kind of seem as if it's not related, but we do believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given every person's heart the ability to gauge a situation. Have you guys ever had that happen to you? Have you ever had a moment where maybe the math was adding up a certain way, like you were thinking about it one way, but your heart was just telling you something different? Anybody? No? Everyone's like, where's the food? <laughs> yeah, it's happened, right? You had that. Um, they talk about it a lot in the frame of parents, you know, mother's instinct. That there's just this instinct. I knew that this person, I knew that my son shouldn't have gone to school today. Or I knew that this, 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 right? So we do believe, I know a lot of you probably are like, oh yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's subjective. How do we measure that, right? We're all like children of a STEM universe now. So it's like, how do we measure this on a, can we, can we, can we get an MRI to see where it happens? The reality is that not everything that we experience is absolutely and totally measurable to an accurate degree. Meaning that there are some experiences that are truly just phenomenon of, of, of the metaphysical world. And Allah has given each person their heart, not their physical heart, but their spiritual heart, right? Kind of like the difference between brain and mind. You have the, the organ, the brain, but you also have the mind. So Allah has given your spiritual heart the strength and the ability to have foresight and to have insight. Some scholars, right, it's also mentioned in some of the hadith, firasa. Some scholars explain it as this ability to see beyond what's apparent. You know, you might have, someone may have walked in the room, and you look at them and you just feel a certain type of way, right? And it's not like jealousy, it's none of that stuff. You just kind of know that there's something there, right? What is this? How does this happen? Where does this come from? The amount of, of God consciousness and piety and purity of a person's heart is directly indicative or correlated to their ability to be able to make these good decisions in a moment where they don't have enough to go off of, right? That the heart will guide them to the right place. This is why as well we have in Islam this concept of istikhara. Anyone here ever heard of the istikhara dua? Everyone's like, yes. All right, the istikhara dua. What's istikhara? Who can describe it in like 10 seconds or less? Yeah, no man. And don't read it. I'm asking you, are you making it right now? All right, is, it, is there a big decision you're about to go through, Ahmed? Okay, no man. What is the istikhara dua? Yeah, you're seeking counsel from God. So you, you, we do istishara, we seek counsel from people, but then we eventually go istikhara and we seek counsel from God and we ask Allah that, oh Allah, if it's good for me, give it to me. And if it's not good for me, then do what? Give it to my enemy? No. What is it? <laughs> not make it good for me, no. Right? That, by the way, very interesting. Can I ask Allah to make this the right thing for me? Right? Why are you turning down what's better, right? what's best for something you want? We ask Allah that if it's good for me, then make it easy for me. If it's not good for me, then take it away from me, take my, disconnect my heart from it, and give me something better. Right? Make, allow me to experience something better. So there is this concept, and we should seek this out. We should seek this out. A lot of us make bad choices. <laughs> we make bad decisions. And sometimes you can't catch a break. Right? You're doing something, and you're like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be saying this. I shouldn't be you know, whatever, X, Y, Z, you fill in the blank. 
That is your heart calling out to you, telling you, don't do this. The Prophet ﷺ in many hadith spoke about the power of the heart in these situations. He said that if the heart feels good, and if the heart is giving motivation to do it, from a place of piety, not from a place of desire, you have to be able to tell the difference. Okay? If the heart feels good from a place of, of, of taqwa, from a place of going to Allah, then that can be an indication to the person that this is in fact the right decision. Many of us have not wanted to do the right thing, but we've been pushed to by our soul. We don't want to turn around and have that, con we don't want to apologize, we don't want to go and return something that we know we didn't pay for, whatever, you name it. But the heart is the organ that's going to propel you to do this, so long as you allow it to do it. But the moment that a person silences the heart and puts it down and says, no, I'm not going to listen to you in these matters anymore. This is all now a matter of my desire. What I want, then the heart becomes muted. And the siren, right, the call that the heart is making is no longer as strong as it once was. And over time, ignoring the heart eventually makes a person completely desensitized to that call that the heart makes. So this is why it's important to keep the heart healthy. So Yaqub being a prophet, has of course wahi, revelation from God, but he also has this intuition. And on top of that, he's a father, right? He knows his sons, and he feels that there's some sort of scheming going on. So he says to them what? And we talked about this. Arsilhu ma'na, they, they keep going. Send him with us tomorrow so that we can play with him and he can enjoy himself. And really, our father, we're going to watch over him. We're going to take care of him. Don't worry about it, dad. Okay, you can almost feel like the, the, the pressure that they're putting on their father. And their father, at the end of the day, he still loves them. He's their dad. So he wants to communicate to them that he doesn't feel good about it. But at the same time, he doesn't want to destroy them. And we talked about, we finished off last week with this. There will be times where your parents will say no to you and they'll give you a reason or an excuse. Parents, siblings, friends, whatever. They'll give you a reason or an excuse and they don't want to highlight something that they're worried about within you. It's called tawriya in Arabic. They're going to go rhetorically around the real reason and try to give you some other reason that doesn't quite seem right. But you're supposed to read in between the lines. You're supposed to be the one that understands, okay? An example of this that we covered in uh, Ghazali's book. If I'm always a person that's making plans, and those plans require spending money, and there's always one friend who's like, you know what, I'm busy, I'll meet up with you after. I'll, I'll meet up at the house after. You guys go out and eat, I'll come over after. That person is not telling you exactly maybe what it is, but maybe their, their, their message to you is, hey, I can't keep up with this financial expenditure. Right? And so they're trying to, I'm busy is a excuse, a roundabout excuse. But it's up to you being the friend, or in this case, the sons, to pick up on what actually the message is being said here. So the father says to them, this one in a billion chance event, what does he say? I'm afraid that what's going to happen? Huh? I'm afraid that a wolf is going to eat Yusuf. Like, I'm afraid that you guys are going to go out with Yusuf, and suddenly a wolf is going to come and is going to eat him. But what is he actually trying to say? What he's trying to say is, I don't think my son is safe with you. I fear for some reason that my son is not safe with you. The wolf here is a symbol. The wolf is a symbol. And by the way, this wolf comes back later in the story, very soon. Very interestingly, he responded that it would truly sadden me. That it would give me grief and, 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 and you know, depression, anxiety. It would truly make me grieve. If you took him away from me, with you, 
because I fear that he might be taken by a wolf while you are negligent of him. Notice he's not even ascribing any bad behavior to them. He's not ascribing any sinful behavior to them. By the way, when the prophets of God speak to people, you'll notice that they don't say, you are this, or you did that. They don't come at them with this confrontational language. They have a lot of wisdom. They'll always bring it passively, or at times they'll even associate it to shaitan. They'll put it on Satan. Many of the disputes that people have are not because of the, 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 the nature of the situation, but because the way that we communicate it sometimes is very confrontational. If Yaqub says straight up to his kids, you guys, are, you guys are planning something evil. I can sense it. I can feel it. What do you think that's going to do to their relationship? So what he does is he delicately walks around the ego of, their, of his children, the egos of his sons, so that he can still tell them that I'm concerned, but he still watches out for their, 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 their self-worth, their integrity. This is a prophetic characteristic, something that we should really try to, to work on. right? Something as simple as, let's say someone invites you over, and they're really excited. No one should ever, by the way, cook for the first time in Ramadan. No one should cook for the first time in Ramadan. If you're having friends over for a flower, please, for the love of God and your friends cater, don't try something new. I understand the Instagram stuff is tempting. I get it. It's not as easy as it looks, okay? So let's say, for example, that you're cooking and you've never made this thing before and you don't know how much salt to add and you went ahead andaza. You just threw it in, right? Okay? And you just tossed a little bit in there, right? And then you serve the food, and the food tastes like it never met a grain of salt in its life. What's, as a guest, what's a way that you can communicate that this needs salt? Without you telling the person you messed up. There's one way, which is, hey, pass the salt. This food enters my mouth, and it's like it disappears. I can't even taste anything, right? Or you can say, this is so, this is delicious. I've never had anything like this before. I... I'm a little weird. I like my food a little bit on the saltier side. It's really good. But for me, do you mind just passing the salt? Right? That would make it, that would make it perfect. Something like that. Or if it's, if it's hot somewhere and you want the air conditioning turned on. Right? There's ways to do that. You don't like slowly just start taking off your jacket and your hat, wiping sweat, letting all these isharat, right? These indications. No, there's a way to do that that preserves the dignity of the person. Say, man, this whole day, is it hot outside? I've been so hot all day today. You know, I've been hot since the morning. I woke up, I just felt warm. I'm not sick, but I just don't feel, maybe, maybe there's like a, I don't know, I just feel warm, right? And the person's like, do you want the fan on? You're like, yes, <laughs> right? But there's ways to, again, navigate and maneuver. They'll get the point. They'll get the point, but there's ways to do that. So, Yaqub, he expresses himself. But at the end of it, what we find in the next ayah, right, at the end of this ayah, by the way, he doesn't accuse them, but he says that you're going to be negligent. And ghafla is a really, really important word, because here he's not just talking about being negligent of his son, but he's saying that, وَأَنْتُمْ anhu غَافِلُونَ Not just about the protection of the son, but you guys are afflicted with negligence about your relationship with your brother. Ghafla is one of the worst states that any person can be in. It's completely and totally unaware. Totally unaware, but not in like a naive way. We're talking here in a flagrant, irresponsible way. Like when a person who gets into a car accident. Car accidents happen, right? May Allah protect us. They happen. It happens once in a while, okay? In Dallas, maybe more than other times. But what then if you found out that the person who caused the accident 
caused it not because of a sincere mistake, but because they were up, they were filming a TikTok while driving, or they were looking at something on their phone, or they were, you know, who knows, something really negligent. Doesn't the crime now become a lot worse? When the crime was something, when it was a sincere mistake, you get out of the car, you're like, look, it's fine. Let's let's exchange insurance. Let's report this. We'll take care of it. But if the person comes out and they're like, hold on, can you hold on? I need to finish filming this. Then you'd be like, this is neglectful. This is neglect. Neglect is so serious that in some, in some matters, it's actually a crime, right? So he's speaking now to his sons and he's saying that you've been afflicted by ghafla. Your hearts have been afflicted by ghafla. You've become so negligent over the states of your heart that you have considered out of jealousy over your brother ending his life whether actively or leaving him to die basically in the desert. And so he says, I'm worried. You guys are not giving your brother his right. You're not taking care of him the way that he deserves. Then the brothers come back with the ultimate emotional blackmail here. They say, what? They say, Oh, our father, if a wolf is able to eat our brother, and we are this large group, then we are surely like in the depths of loss. We are the greatest losers in the world. So they're taking their dad's concern, and they're not, you know, there's a phrase in, in English they say sometimes, I'm picking up what you're laying down. They're not picking up what Yaqub's laying down. They're not getting it. He's trying to tell them that I'm afraid something bad's going to happen. And they focus instead on this specific instance. You guys ever had this happen before? You're trying to explain to somebody why they shouldn't do something. And you're like, this might happen. They're like, that won't happen. And you're like, I'm trying, Habibi, to guide you away from this. I'm trying to guide you away from this entire enterprise. I'm giving you one example, but read the room. Figure it out. So they say to their father that, look, look at our size. Look at who we are. We're a tribe. We're a group of people. They keep referring back to the same, the same leverage that we are this large group of people, but they're not listening to what their father is saying. These, this is an example, this entire passage is an example of what happens when a person's ears are listening, but their heart is not listening. So many different disputes in life come from when people are talking not with each other, not to each other, but at each other. You're just talking, you're saying something and the person's responding but you haven't taken the time to process what they're saying and think about what is it that they're actually trying to tell me? What is it that I'm actually being told here? Conversations sometimes happen so quickly, there's no way realistically that you were able to hear and process and, and decode and interpret what the person was saying. You know, one time I was sitting with some very elderly, scholarly people, very pious, very righteous. I, was, I happened to be in that room. I think I was like serving tea or something, right? That's the only way that I should be in that room. And I remember witnessing something, and wallahi, it shook me. When I saw them speaking to each other, tell me if you've seen this before. They would speak to each other, and then there'd be like a pause. So they would say something. How are you today? And the person would say, hmm. Alhamdulillah, I'm good. What have you been up to today? Another person goes, hmm. And they're like, they're, they're literally, I mean, this is really, if you're talking about being present, right? A lot of the places you guys work at, they pay these you know, life coaches $10,000 to come do a day on presence, mindfulness, right? These are all like these, those neo-spiritual buzzwords. 
Islam teaches us about being present. Islam teaches us about having good character in the moment. Islam teaches us that when someone's telling you something, you don't interrupt them. You don't conquer them. You don't overwhelm them. No, you listen. And these two individuals or three individuals that were there, they were demonstrating what active listening looks like. They were really honed in. The person would say something and they would pause briefly. If someone asked a question, they didn't feel the pressure to answer right away. This is the exact opposite of what we're used to. Many of us talk so quickly to each other that we're not actually understanding what's going on. And then we go home and we hear from somebody else that the person that you were just with actually is struggling a lot with something. And you say, I could have never guessed. Well, maybe if you were listening with your heart and not just with your ears, you would have understood. Maybe you would have been able to figure that out. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us tawfiq. So they are responding to a fear that's not the real fear. And they're responding with a solution that's not the real solution. But it gets even more apparent. This is, by the way, an incredible demonstration on what happens when a person's heart is absolutely and totally set on something. You are attached. Absolute, there's no movement. You're not going to say no. And what happens? The heart, the desire becomes the center and everything else in your life starts to rotate around that desire. So you're manipulating everything in your life to what? To fit that desire. You made one plan and nothing's going to interfere with that. So now you have to turn everything else. So what are they saying? Next, okay? When they took him, When they took him and decided to throw him in the bottom of a well. So they wanted to fulfill their plan. None of them, even at that moment, where they just got done listening to their father, like grief-stricken, heart exposed. You know what they say, like they, they put their heart on their sleeve. Their dad is telling them, I'm afraid. Could you ever, subhanAllah, look at someone in the eyes that's telling you that they're afraid of something and then tell them, promise them, guarantee them that I will make sure this doesn't happen. And then the first thing you do is go and do it. It's such an interesting thing, but all of us are vulnerable. There's no judgment in here against the brothers. There's no judgment because this story is really just a story about us. It's just a story for us to learn from. The brothers went and did exactly what they were planning. Not a single person, subhanAllah, not a single person said something. One of the Mufassirin, he said something very powerful. He said, maybe, maybe if one of the brothers, how many were there? How many? Well, 12 total, how many are doing this? 11, right? Okay, 10, yeah, because Binyamin's not involved, okay? So you got 10 of the brothers, you have Binyamin, and then you have Yusuf. There's 12 sons, 10 of them. If one just stood up and said, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And in this moment, I know no one, everyone here, don't, don't you dare shout narc, okay? But if one of them just went to their father and said, Dad, I'm worried this is what's going to happen. I'm worried that they're going to go and Yusuf is going to die as a result of this. If one of them went and did that, what would have been the, the complete trajectory change? But in that group of 10, not one of them demonstrated the courage to stand up for what's right. Many of our life situations where we witness these, these crises and tragedies, many of them could be removed or allevi alleviated by a person making the right decision in the toughest moment. In the toughest moment. Ramadan teaches us this. Ramadan for 30 days forces us to make the right decision 
in a day of difficult moments. Yesterday, I was at Costco. Yesterday, I was at Costco. And forget the fact that my children wanted pizza right away, in front of me. Okay? No shame. Baba, we want pizza. And it's not even like 6 p.m. where I'm like, okay, I can, I can thug it out for another hour and a half. Let me grab a slice and take it home, right? A little baba treat. No. It's like one. It's not even built her yet. I'm technically still, I've only prayed Fedra to, at that point, right? And we're eating pizza. Not we, sorry. I, I, could, I was eating it in my mind, okay? I had to cut it for them. I had to like feed it to them. I mean, there were points where it was like so close to my mouth that you would, this is, this is genuine torture. And we go and we, we are stocking up on our, on our, on our groceries and you know, I'm tired, I'm fasting. I had two kids with me. My wife and I are there. We're putting this, pushing this giant shopping cart of America in front of us and as I'm the next person in line, because it's a Costco on a Sunday, okay, it's more crowded than this. As I'm the next person in line, this woman comes up to me with her husband, the two of them, Bonnie and Clyde, and they walk up and they go, and they don't even say anything. They just look at me and they go, and they just walk. And I look at them and I'm like, you did not. After the pizza, after the smoothie, after everything I've been through today, you did not just do this. And I look and, and, and they have like stuff. It's not like they have one thing. She's buying like, you know, no, they have like stuff. And she's like, it's okay, right? And I'm like, and in that moment I thought to myself, SubhanAllah, this is what Ramadan is about. <laughs> this is what it's about. I look there at my wife who's hijabi and I'm like, we have to make the right decision now, in part because of you, right? In part, I'm not going to put the full, but in part because of you. I also look very Muslim, right? Okay, I think I was wearing a shirt that had like the kaab on it or something. And I'm like, we can't even get away with this one, right? We can't even be like, get back there! Because then they're going to say Muslims are so mean, right? And then I realized in that moment that Ramadan is all about making the right choice at the toughest time. It's about conquering yourself. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I was a little disappointed in myself that I had to wrestle myself that long. I wish I was the kind of person that I didn't even flinch. I wish that was me. Because I know people that they don't flinch. I've met people that don't flinch. When they're tested, you can't even tell. I've met them. Yaqub is one of them. And you'll see it, inshallah, in this story. Our goal in this month is to become a person that is able to make the right call in the toughest of moments. The brothers of Yusuf in this time, they did not do that. And you see the devastation and the difficulty that it causes because not one of them was able to stand and make the right choice in that moment. So when they took him, they decided to throw him in the bottom of the well. Allah Ta'ala says, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْهِ And at that moment, can you imagine how afraid he was? Remember we said he's like 9 years old, 10, 11, 12? He's a young boy. And he's sitting there in the bottom of a well. No clue. His brothers didn't like bully him in his entire life. No clue what's going on. No clue why this is happening. He's sitting there in the bottom of a well. Did he do something wrong? Did he prank his brothers the night before? Did he bully them or make fun? 
It's okay, by the way. Don't worry. It's okay. It's fine. Don't worry about it. He's just making zikr. <laughs> like, Allah, 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 right? <laughs> We've got to wrap up too as we make dua. He didn't do anything wrong. But he's sitting there. Many of us in this situation, we'd sit there and we'd say, why me? Yusuf has more reason than anybody to say, why me? You and I, we say, why me? And then quickly we're like, oh yeah, that's why. <laughs> we can trace back the mistakes, right? Why me? Oh, never mind. Uh, I understand Allah completely. I get it. I approve of this difficulty that I'm in. But subhanAllah, there's nothing he did wrong. SubhanAllah, Prophet Yusuf, there's nothing he did wrong. He's sitting there at the bottom of the well. What does Allah send him in that moment? Allah does not send him. Allah could have sent him an angel. Jibreel could have come and taken him out of the well. Isn't that interesting? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have allowed for some other group to come and take him out right at the, 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 the suffering, the punishment, or the difficulty, or whatever it may have been that we interpret as punishment, could have been alleviated immediately. But Allah ta'ala sends him this revelation, this message, this inspiration. That we sent to him what? That you will, that you will be a person that will tell them of this at a later time. So Yusuf in that moment is probably thinking, I'm going to die. I'm going to die here. There's no way that I'm going to make it out. And Allah sends him this message that no, you won't. Not only are you not going to die, there will come a day when you will be able to right this wrong, you will be able to get your justice from this moment, it will happen. There's a story in the life of the Prophet that reminds me of this. When the Prophet was making hijrah from Mecca to Medina, he had Ali take his spot in bed as he left for Medina early, and he told Ali, his cousin, to what? Distribute all the belongings when they come and try to assassinate me. You're going to stay in my spot. But when they come here and they find out that it's not me, your responsibility then is to distribute their belongings because they keep them safe with him. And he goes to Ali, he says, I'll see you in Medina. Okay? So the Quraysh then gather that night, they have all their swords, and they're ready, they're committed to kill the Prophet ﷺ. This is like a moment of assassination, they figured out all the logistics, no one's really going to take the blame because they're all in on it. When they go there and they find that it's Ali they are disturbed, they're angry, they're frustrated, the Prophet ﷺ has escaped, their plan has been foiled. They leave. Later on, the companions asked Ali weren't you scared? Weren't you scared? Like, of course, you love the Prophet ﷺ, you trust him, you give your life for him. But weren't you scared in that moment you're laying in bed and you're afraid that they're going to kill you instead? They're not going to look over and see if it's, if it's the Prophet ﷺ? And they also looked very similar, by the way. They're family. And Ali said, no, I wasn't scared even a bit. And they said, why? They said, because the Prophet ﷺ told me I'll see you in Medina. <laughs> and I knew that at that moment, nothing's going to happen to me tonight. I slept like a baby. I slept like a child, right? So Yusuf here is getting that good news that you're going to be coming out of this, right? When something bad happens to us in our life, listen for Allah Ta'ala to give us those isharat of goodness. We ask Allah Ta'ala to accept from us. We ask Allah Ta'ala to accept this fast. We ask Allah Ta'ala to bless us. We ask Allah Ta'ala to protect us. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to put barakah on all of our lives and our health and our wealth. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to allow us to always make the right decision in the toughest of times. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the courage to be pious. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the courage and the strength to always be on the straight path. We ask Allah Ta'ala that if we have any struggles or difficulties, if we have any vulnerabilities that we are struggling with, that He give us the ability, that He give us the ability to fight ourselves and to conquer ourselves in that moment. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be people of Quran, 
that when we read the Qur'an, when we study it, when we reflect over it, that we're able to extract the fruits from it and the nectar from it and we're able to become people that live our lives in the fragrance, the sweet perfume of the message of his book. We ask Allah Ta'ala to join us with the Prophet in paradise. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.